What's the matter, you? You're trying to. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's if you want him, what it be to play with him? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to episode 42 of We Don't Talk About the Weather political discussion that to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, I'm here with you. I'm tired. <laughs> and we're here to talk about this week's sleep schedule. I was up at quarter to five today. Tired boys, tired boys. Yes. I've been listening to a lot of Steve Allen. And we see. And I'm not sure if Steve Allen might be possibly the best radio DJ that's ever lived or the worst person. Those aren't mutually exclusive, to be fair. He is horrible. But yeah, I listen to him a lot. What's I'm the like, cause of your sleeplessness? You know what the cause of my sleeplessness is. He's Our third there. comrade. Yeah, he's sitting in the corner chewing a thing and he's lost a load of teeth today. I don't want to say his name because I don't want to call him over here because you've just got him settled. <laughs> Fitz. Yeah, there we go. There we go. It's fine. But yeah, he's um yeah he's been a bit of a terror um, because he's teething and that's horrible. That's adorable from a distance. It is, but terrifying up close. Up close. Look at my arms. Jesus. Because he has razors in his mouth. <laughs> and oh As yeah, do most and also dogs. I am allergic to dogs. Like cats. You're actually allergic to dogs. Oh, aren't extremely you? Yeah. allergic to all animals. I'm like terrible. Which is why you have three cats and immediately replaced your dog. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just what you do. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. Um, that and just counting down the minutes until I can play Monster Hunter. Um, Ooh, and yeah, training my dog to very calmly sit down when daddy's holding his control. Because <laughs> that means daddy doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> daddy's in the dull space. Yeah, I did it with Lily. Daddy's jacked in. <laughs> I trained Lily very well to do that when we were in Australia. That's why you never saw any dogs on the uh, Nebuchadnezzar in uh, The Matrix. Because they would just be fussing at you. And it's like, look, Daddy, Daddy's jacked into The Matrix right now. <laughs> They'd be tearing up wires all the time. Would, that was what, that's what happened to the first people who jacked back into The Matrix. Their wires were pulled out by dogs. <laughs> Unless there were also dogs jacked into The Matrix, plugged mm. into The Matrix, mm. in little little gel pods that would be quite like adorable humans, and they're dreaming of their greatest civilization so I've just got images of a little dog getting out and then having the memory the, like, the lessons being put into his head to catch really well <laughs> I know fetch you could have the red pill or the blue pill just eats both yeah <laughs> the vomits but, um, yeah that's what I've been doing and it's been very tiring and the missus is away uh, teaching Norfolk people I say people Norfolk children how to write <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's quite tiring. Oh, lovely. Very tired boy. I've been watching a lot of thingy. Um, what's his name? Piers Morgan. Oh, oh you that's your morning schedule now, isn't it? It is. Good morning, Britain. Yeah, Piers Morgan is a... I don't, think, I don't know if you know this, but Piers Morgan, yeah, is a monster. <laughs> he is the laziest troll I have ever seen in my life. He is unbearable. And I'm starting to get really tired of all the vegans they get on TV to argue with people like Piers Morgan. Because they're always kind of tired, wafy-looking things, and they're always easily confused and beaten by shouty Piers Morgan. Whereas I just beat him. Beat him with a sack of frozen tofu. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so what's this week? I saw today Boris Johnson's carried on with fucking bullshit. Yeah, Boris, because he asked for, he said there should be more funding for the NHS, and Jeremy Hunt kind of agreed. Yeah, well, there should be more funding for the NHS. Luckily, we're leaving Brexit, so we're going to have 350 million. To... <laughs> I'm sure people will believe his bullshit this time around. 
He's a he's he's just trying to get fired, isn't he? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he is. Um, and he's not going to be fired. No, because if he gets fired, then they'll the Tories will just tear her apart. Yeah, there'll be another election. Yeah, um, but if she, and if they if she doesn't fire him and have the balls to do it, he is going to resign and say he was pushed. God. He'll resign and brief everywhere that he was pushed, but do these smug interviews where he talks about how like. Oh no, I had to resign. No, I wasn't pushed. But all these news stories will say, "Oh, he was pushed." Though I'd say the most person most worried about Boris Johnson resigning is probably Piers Morgan, because let's face it, he's next in line for the Good Morning Britain sofa. Oh god, they had they've had Stanley Johnson on there because he was on um, that. I thing, mean, like as a present, I mean Boris as yeah. a presenter, yeah. like mm. definitely. I don't know. I think Boris is more likely to become one of those people who travels around the world trying to sell jam, <laughs> like Prince Andrew. You know, jam. You can't see my inverted commas there. Fully automatic jam. Heat-seeking jam. To jam lovers everywhere. Yeah. Especially in Kazakhstan. Yeah, they love jam in Kazakhstan. Oh, so it's, not, it's uh, Uzbekistan, isn't it? <laughs> they don't like jam in Yemen, but that's why they're yeah. forcibly selling jam. It's like a very hostile going into the market. Dude, like what Subway used to do, like opening up everywhere. Opening up jam retailers. <laughs> God, I hate Prince Andrew. And also, yeah, that was it. Princess Eugenie's getting married. Both of them looking exactly the same. Both of them looking like they're going to have a kid that looks like Charles the Bewitched. <laughs> Charles the Bad. Have a child in May who believes he's made of glass. Yeah. I was reading his um because of that face, the, those faces. I, I was looking up the Wikipedia article on Charles the Bewitched again and just see the beautiful section of Wikipedia. Attempts to procreate. <laughs> like he's a bulldog. <laughs> like he was a bulldog even. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Boris wants to get sacked, and he's not going to get sacked because she hasn't got the courage to get to sack him, and she hasn't got the courage to do anything because they don't do anything anymore. Yeah, they just kind of survive. Yeah, and lumber on, and generally, whenever no one's looking, like take another kick at the NHS or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the most recent of Tory catastrophes. Yeah. This past couple of weeks, we've had the Karelian crisis. Yes. Um, it's a, a publicly a. a Public, a key player in the public-private partnership kind of yeah. arena. Yeah. Um, it runs. Um, it's a company that runs like a major, a lot of services like schools and railways and hospitals. Um, it's one of the largest providers of facilities management services to the NHS, um, and it's also responsible for building hospitals, uh, specifically uh, the Royal Liverpool Hospital, um, and it also maintains around half of the UK's prisons. Hmm. And the other half hugged by Circo. <laughs> yeah, um, and that includes like um, probation services and mm. rehab. Mm. And the prison services that have been owned by private companies have been in the news again because the one in Medway, there's been a lot of shit happening there. Again? Yeah, they're all, with constant. Yeah. It's constantly with these things. It's like, you shouldn't have these things. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, the prison experiment was a thing that happened and proved that it's not really a good thing. <laughs> Anyway, um, so Carillion, so they don't fucked up. They've uh, they've they were increasingly reliant since nineteen ninety seven. They were increasingly reliant on PFI contracts to to make money. Yeah, and uh, quite a lot of their projects. Apparently, the value of them has been slashed recently. Okay, um, it's as the contracts underperformed, they just kept relying on the next contract to come through. Hmm. Um, so they've ended up with debts of about nine hundred million, and I think a pensions def- deficit of about six hundred million. Which is terrifying. And the banks have just called time and mm. said that they cannot continue to operate. So at the moment, I think they're in liquidation rather than actual bankruptcy. Mm. So there's been a, a like 
all attention turns to the government mm. as to what they're going to do. Are they going to bail them out? Are they going to keep giving them contracts? And kind of highlights the difference in approach between the prospective Labour government in waiting and the current Tories. Yeah, and all the... So... Fits there. Third um, comrade. <laughs> squeaking his approval. Definite, strongly agrees. Yeah. So, Carillion, they're not just their employees are fucked because their pensions are gone. Mm. But they outsource a lot of stuff as well, like a lot of these people do. Yeah. And they're all fucked out as well. Yeah. Because there's a lot of them who are owed money, aren't they? Yes. Um, so, generally, those kind of providers, they're organised into three bits. Yeah. Um, you've got a holding company, which is the one that negotiates all the all the contracts with the government. Hmm. You've got um, a, a capital infrastructure company which kind of runs the buildings and things like that the ongoing services mm. and you also usually have like a, a services or operating company but they then subcontract to other smaller companies down the line quite often owned by the same like with shares shareholders yeah. similar shareholders for both subcontractor and main company yeah um so this whole thing has flowed down and they've developed an empire that basically means I think they have about 20,000 workers, about 30,000 kind of temporary mm. uh, contractors who are owed money now. Yeah. And a massive pension pot that somehow seems to have disappeared. These, it always happens like that. So weird. Yeah, it's They really need like, money and they're sitting on a whole pot of money. And It's weird because mm. my wife was asking about this because mm. when we're in Australia, you have to pay superannuation, which is like that. This pension. Yes. Um, And then because we weren't going to be living there, and so we were never going to be, she was never going to be claiming that superannuation, they have to pay it back. Yeah. And her employer hadn't put the money into the superannuation fund. Yeah. Which you're not supposed to do. No. And she, Holly was contacted by the Australian government Mm. to ask if they, if she wanted to file a proper complaint and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Holly was like, how come they can, you know, they'll do that in Australia, but they won't do that here. And it is just down to size, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like when it's one person, when it's like one small production company compared to something as big as Carillion. I think it's also the element of like they, I mean, since the 80s, capitalism has used pension funds as kind of, so if you look historically, you had a boomer generation that did incredibly well after the Second World War, built up these kind of guaranteed pension plans. Mm. And until they're taken, they're just big pots of money. Their asset, yeah. they, they were turned into assets in the 80s that yeah. people could borrow against. So it's yeah. like, well, look, on my balance sheet, I have, say, £600 million worth of pensions. That means I can borrow you know, a load of money to then invest in other, yeah. in other things. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like making money off of capital that's just lying there. But unfortunately, if none of those actually, if it's never replenished or it's never returned, then the loan actually has a kind of, mm. the, the, the creditor actually has like a claim on those on those pensions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's... Which is disgusting, but also yeah. capitalism. Yeah. Yeah, so Carillion's share price collapsed around 90% um, in the last few months. Yeah. Um, it slashed its market value from around £850 million to £70 million it was worth mm. by the mm. end. And considering they've taken, like, billions yeah. in government contracts. And they're doing HS2. And they are part of the consortium that does HS2. Because yeah. that's the other thing as well. When they like set up these PFI contracts, they set them up as a consortium. So this this holding company that we mentioned a few minutes ago, they, mm. I think they call it like a Topco, because it's literally the top company in a branch of mm. in a horrible tree of companies. <laughs> um, they end up being in a consortium with a load of other people. So when the government say, like, they're, def- they're 
really pathetic defence was Carillion's not the only person in there. And it's like, yeah, but they are a major one. Yeah. And it was their companies that I think were doing the tunnelling bits of HS2. <laughs> so that just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I just love the idea of like, it's like them doing it quickly on the fly before they like completely go into liquidation of just painting a tunnel like a cartoon. It's a lesson it's a lesson they learned from the financial sector because mm. the financial sector in the same way that Bernie Madoff his Ponzi scheme was to promise returns on an investment take in the investment then convince others yeah. to give him money and that he would use... then pay out as dividends for proof that he could get a high return yeah. on that first person's investment and as long as you can keep rolling like that mm. you can like keep taking in money and like the punishment of Bernie Madoff pro- probably didn't like kind of undermine the fact that everybody in the financial services industry was was on that stuff. So just like a short introduction to like what PFI is, because like there's a lot of kind of really shoddy defences mm. of it being put up, which I'll go into in a second. But I think it's worth like just explaining a bit about PFI. So they were originally introduced by the major government in '92, mm. and uh, like Labour originally railed against it. They said it was a huge waste of money. And then two months after taking power, New Labour um, kind of really, really took PFIs on board. Yeah. Suddenly, here was a way of spending money, of improving services or mm. putting money into services without it actually appearing like they were borrowing. Yeah. Because all of the money that they give to um, uh, these uh, private contractors doesn't appear on the balance sheet, the balance mm. of payments. Yeah. So it's off-balance mm. debt. Um, Alan Milburn uh, in '97 said that when there's a limited amount of public sector capital available, as there is, it's PFI or bust. Mm. Alan Milburn. Um, so Labour expanded PFI massively. Um, the NHS Private Finance Act in 1997 enabled NHS trusts to make loan agreements with the private sector to expand their facilities or build new buildings. Previously, they could only borrow money either from the government uh, directly from the government and could only use that money. Mm. This allowed them to technically borrow on the pri- borrow from the private sector, yeah. which, as you can see, has worked out amazingly. Mm. Um, it was originally floated as a way of getting around, as I mentioned, treasury limits on government borrowing, which mm. they had artificially set. That So the Tories were like, as part of their appeal to the middle classes and as a kind of really shoving the boot into their class enemies, which would have been the trade union and the left generally. Um, They put artificial limits on public spending. So that undermines all the kind of community work that the left were doing that actually kind of put, like, that's where their main base was. It was public sector workers, council workers, labour-run left-wing councils, things like that. So they could not only show to the middle class that they were fiscally responsible, but also, like I say, put the boot into their class enemies. Yeah. as they've got limits on spending, they also had limits on tax increases, which meant, as with all neoliberal projects, they had a massive public debt crisis. Yeah. So public debt was ballooning by the end of um, Thatcher's, uh, Thatcher's era. Mm. So all they did was the necessary borrowing to prevent the country collapsing. They just shifted it off balance and gave it to private companies, which served mm. an ideological need as well as a kind of practical, mm. practical political need. Um, it's essentially like launder. So, oh. He just bit his cock. Oh dear. I, I'd be upset if I bit my own cock. I say if. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so under PFI, the government says they won't let themselves borrow money to provide mm. um, public services. They will instead play private companies to build and essentially like 
launder their own money yeah. so that it doesn't appear as a figure on a balance sheet. Which is, it's like, surely at that point it's like, this is sketchy as well. Mm. Mm. It's weird because it's like none of it is not, it's not traceable. It's not like shady mm. in the way that you're trying to keep money away from anybody's eyes other than your own? Yeah. The states? Yeah. It's weird. It's like, it's like when you eat a bag of crisps in the middle of the night. And it doesn't count. <laughs> well, it's when you no. It's when you Drinking eat too bad. It's when you eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's when you can't see yourself. Yeah. When you can't look in the mirror and go, yeah. "Oh my god, <laughs> what have I become?" I prefer the metaphor of because I'm a greedy bastard. Mm. Uh, you eat two packs of the same crisps or a multi pack of crisps, and that's just I had some crisps. Yes. You know. <laughs> I know it's a terrible analogy. I am a greedy, greedy man. Fits. He's chewing his tail. He does sound really upset, but I would like people listening to not think I'm abusing him. He is just teething and being sweet. He's lying. Everybody, phone the RSPCA. <laughs> I've already had, I've had the RSPCA call on me before for my last dog. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, the neighbour called him because um, she didn't like, she just yeah. didn't like me having a dog. Yeah. And the RSPCA came around and went, this dog seems fine. Bye. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so they've moved all this debt off off, bal- off the balance sheet. They yeah. think they think everything's good. Yeah. But that's still a debt. Mm. It's still owed. Yeah. One of the kind of important disadvantages of doing that of of moving all that money into private hands. Yeah. And borrowing from the private sector is it costs more. Yeah. Um, lending money is a trade-off between risk and return, right? So mm. the creditor lends you the money with the idea that they'll get more back at the end and the chances of you paying it back is their risk, yeah. right? So that affects interest rates and all that kind of thing. If you're lending to, like, a bloke in a pub mm. um, at the very, like, bottom end of the scale, you probably are taking on a lot of risk there. But mm. if you're lending to the government, that's not a risk. No. The government isn't going anywhere. The yeah. government isn't going to, like, fly to Cuba. No. Especially this government. No. <laughs> Um, there's no risk premium. There's like lending to the state is safe, so the state can insist on a lower interest rate. It's like we're gonna pay it back, and we, you know, yeah. we're gonna be here. Yeah. Um, so as I said, they were they kind of like set up all these infrastructure projects to build these shiny shiny new hospitals, and the way that they were set up because they were so business friendly. Lou mm. Labour, I'm business friendly. I love business. I yeah. love business so much. Um. They were very concerned about making it attractive hmm. because the reason why private companies don't tend to provide services to the NHS is because you can't make any fucking money out of it. Yeah. Why would they? Yeah. So what the government has to do is say, don't worry, we've got this guarantee, we've got a guaranteed level of profit. Yeah. We've got, you will, I guarantee you will make this amount of money. We were talking about it in the um, Walthamstow Housing mm. um, Town Square episode. Yeah. They're guaranteeing that they will make money off it because yeah. there's no way that they would get involved if they didn't. They're not it's, it's interesting, that, interested in providing the services. It's that simplest thing of private hospitals don't have A&Es. Mm. Because there's nothing to be, there's no money to be made from a guy who's broken his leg. Old old private hosti- hospitals before the like most recent twenty years of privatisation, <laughs> like their varicose veins and their um, uh, bunions, like uh, not palliative care but like rehabilitative yeah. care, slow like if they're long term stuff. Yeah. Um, their rehab like rehab yeah. facilities and or things like that. Surgery. 
Oh, plastic surgery, yeah, elective elective surgery. Stuff that the NHS can do doesn't can do, but also doesn't... It, it's easier if it shifts it off. Not that I am okay with it, but, you know. Yeah. You know. Um, and a lot of this stuff was in the, like, the failure... Um, failure stuff written into the contract so if yeah. the if the service provider failed to provide the service um they would lose an element of their payment right mm. that was the idea but all of the um all the termination procedures on these contracts were so complex that it ended up with the government like any debt that the company had accrued you know um borrowing money to like hire workers mm. like buy materials the government would foot that yeah. if if they if the government if the company failed if they failed in the, the standards that the they were supposed to meet, they, supposed to they would withhold payment, but the government would be on the hook. Yeah. So, like, this was inor- This is like an inordinately expensive way of providing services. Yeah. Just in order to, like, ease a political revolution that had gone on during the 80s. Yeah. To ease the kind of burgeoning middle class and make them feel secure that they had, like, a strict nanny yeah. in charge of their household finances, which wasn't their household finances, but actually if... They had run their household finances like this. They would have fucking got metal. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there's a a bit from... uh, George Monbiot has been writing about PFIs for years, uh, mostly to do with the NHS. Um, And he... I'm just going to quote him here. The problem was that much of what the NHS wanted to do was not attractive to private financiers. In Coventry, for example, it had been planning to refurbish its two hospitals at a cost of £30 But analysts realised that business would not be interested. The scheme was too small and there was no scope for the financial innovation. (laughs) Read, borrow a shitload of money and bet that money on the stock market. That could produce serious profits. Hmm. As a confidential report by the local health authority showed in 1998, the health service redesigned its scheme to make it more attractive to private capital. Instead of refurbishing the two existing hospitals, it would ask private business to knock them down and build a new one, the university hospital. This would cost not £30 million, but £174 million. The health experts who wrote the confidential report predicted that in order to find this money, the hospital trust would have to cut both beds and services. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, he's got a little thing at the end. Did I say 174 million pounds? I beg your pardon. By January 2002, the price had risen to 290 million. A month later, it was 311 million. By the end of that year, it was growing to 330 million. By in 2003, it was 370 million. 2007, the Birmingham Post reported that the final cost was 410 million. This year, the Hospital Trust must find 56 million pounds covering repayments and service fees to hand to the private consortium. The annual cost will rise in line with the retail price index for 30 years <laughs> like it's so depressing like the sheer numbers just the numbers like yeah. reported in these in these kind of things um and like you say like businesses can't run those public services like no. it can't um it still has to be paid by us it still is being paid by us yeah like with railways yeah. we still guarantee half the money for um uh private train operators yeah but it's sick but it's still significantly more expensive. They run a worse service. They charge the consumer directly more. The sandwiches are better. Are they though? <laughs> it's it's are still they? that thing that just—it's the thing that makes me most angry. Whenever like it'll be LBC, it'll be someone like Nick Ferrari who'll just say like, "But you remember British Rail? The sandwiches—they were so bad." And I remember British Rail sandwiches. They weren't that bad. Or mostly, you were too hungry to even care. Hmm. I remember. I remember the smell of I remember the smell of fags. Mm. 
gorgeous i love how in this country like late capitalism has developed so that the worst shit imaginable is sacrificed on the altar of a particular nostalgic memory that somebody once had that has turned into kind of a generalized folk memory one journalist had a really bad experience with an egg salad sandwich on a british rail train and that's why we're not allowed to have public so much so that the two things you remember are the insignia of British Rail, that mm. weird like symbol, and that brings up memories of food <laughs> when it is to do with transport. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um, yes, they're not like the ins and outs of the Carillion thing is the same as most other companies, like mm. poor corporate uh, management. Um, they kept paying themselves bonuses. They kept taking yeah. out the money because, of course, they do because like <laughs> they're if not this, in it for the love of. It's like when Enron came around yeah. and like you said, this company was failing and covering things up in its books and yet they were still paying themselves. Have they not shame? And it's like, <laughs> no, no, they don't have shame. How many more times? It's amazing what happens to shame when you're in a hot tub full of champagne. Yeah. It just washes away. Yeah. Do you know what used to happen? The government used to borrow the money. They used to pay a building contractor a mm. straight amount of money to make a thing that it designed mm. and it, excuse me, and that um, it decided what its best use would be mm. in terms of what the community actually fucking needed. Mm. And then after the building contractor had completed the building, the state owned it. Mm. And you know what? It was a lot less. It was a lot cheaper. Mm. And like the way that, like you said, memories of oh, he's pissing on the carpet. Uh, yeah, British companies can't um, make money off public services, and no. increasingly they can't make money off a lot else. So, like this kind of like parasiting off the off the state, off like the remains of the welfare system, hmm. it really is a last ditch effort. And I don't know how much else there is left to actually like feed off of. Yeah, you know, like they're already reduced to like. There was a report that when I was looking into this, there was a report that they were fucking flipping. Their contracts, yeah, you know, like you flip a house, yeah. like you sell it on and do a little bit and then flip it for much, yeah. much more. Um, so they were painting um, contracts magnolia. Yeah, they were like uh, companies that were awarded contract to build and maintain state schools for twenty five years. Have been doubling their money by flipping their PFI projects just four years after finishing them. They've made, uh, let's see, well, then selling it on to another company. Yeah, um, Belfer Beatty. Um, made profits of 188.9 million by flipping the University Hospital of North Durham and seven schools in Knowsley in near Liverpool, generating a gain of 51 million pounds. In the case of schools, it doubled its money from the 19 million pounds investment made when its 27 year contracts were awarded in 2007 and 2011. <laughs> uh, and Carillion made 12.2 million, Keir 20.7 and Interserve 90 million according to stock market filings. Interserve are another one who are like they that I've heard reports that they're kind of and it's the again it's the same as any other company in that it's not that they're not making money it's just that they're not making money fast enough to match the mm. thing the the demands of their shareholders mm. like they're not developing productive capacity mm. they're not performing their if you like like to get all marxist about it they're not performing their historic role mm. they are just parasiting off of the the state yeah um and I don't think it's like an accident either that um, uh, there was a report this week uh, released by the Centre for Policy Studies that critiqued Jeremy Corbyn's nationalisation plans. Hmm. Um, it said that proposals to bring the railways, postal service, energy and water industries under public ownership would lead to upfront costs of at least £176 billion. 
And so that like, oh, and they did the thing as well where they um, divided it down into it will cost every household six thousand pounds. It's like, no, d- does it? No, it doesn't. And um, also, perhaps we could borrow off the books. <laughs> yeah, perhaps we set up a PFI to nationalise. <laughs> yeah, we'll pay uh, the PF, the private the PFI company known as Hugor. <laughs> pay me, and I will nationalise it. Is it just you with your arms crossed in a wife beater with like a pa- a bat? Yeah, and <laughs> Kosh. a blackjack, <laughs> and a, a bowler hat, kind of at a slanty angle. It's always been that's my idea for renationalising is me walking around to these offices with a blackjack. I think it. I, to be honest, not quite that, but that. Well, no, just say like it's, it's getting it's, to. It's nationalised now, and then they say, "But we want our money," and then you say, "But we've got the army." You've already had. You've already had your money out of it. You have had mm. more than enough. More than enough. This is a classic case where, like, the proper left wing mm. uh, credentials of like. Corbyn Labour has mm. to show through yeah. because they have to undermine the right of property in mm. this case. If if 176 billion is too much, mm. is regarded as politically too much, then they have to find a way to reduce that. And that is, to quote the man, nationalisation without compensation. Yeah. Like they have had enough share share returns yeah. and you can't risk another Carillion. Well, you can't risk what happens if like Serco mm. falls over? Mm. Like they're not paying any tax. No. They're not fucking... Um, the services are fucking terrible, as yeah. anybody who's ever tried to use a public service in the last, like, ten years mm. can assert to, mm. if it weren't for, like, the the like service that, like, nurses and doctors who are, you know, paid by the state mm. offer. Like, you know it's gotten worse. You know in your bones it's gotten worse. Mm. Like, I, <laughs> there has to come a point where you undermine the principle of property with capital P. What's that thing I've said before... I don't know if I said it on the podcast, that if I was Jeremy Corbyn, I would consider it an amazing achievement if I made it so businesses were utterly petrified of ever having a, ever taken on a nationalised industry in this country ever again hmm. for fear that we'd just take it off them. Yeah. If that, that's a good legacy to have. Yeah. <laughs> the companies are afraid to buy your trains. Yeah. But part of it, you get like... Um... You get the kind of scare tactics and like the reporting has been like, oh, well, of course, you need some private investment. And it's mm. like, do you? This this is specifically, it's like a complete failure of the, the media right now is saying, like presenting this as if it's natural, presenting as if, yeah. of course, the way you do things is you get private enterprise and you get like public money and you use that to like provide a, a public service. Yeah, it's um, the post office was working fine. It was in profit when they sold it. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't have fucking sold it. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, there's like this, this this failure, and it's it's a failure of imagination and a failure at history because you don't have to look back that far to find a time when, like, there were I cannot remember where it was, but there was a a, a report a, a report or a paper I read that said just prior to Thatcher setting up right to buy, um, council housing was almost revenue neutral mm. in terms of. Uh, housing costs, repair yeah, costs, that. gas, electricity, things like that, which mm. means that it could run, taking in exactly the amount of money it needed it to working. keep on running without actually generating any profit. And it's mm. like, God damn it, if that was even part true, if that was even yeah. like a little bit true. And like, you get like, uh, was it John McTiernan on Twitter? Oh, he can fuck off. Um, 
was uh, responding to somebody kind of uh, talking about nationalisation. Just for you to know, John and, McTernan is a Blairite he was idiot. A advisor, wasn't he? He was, he's been an advisor to failing Labour governments all over the world. He failed at getting a Canadian elected, and he failed. I think he did. It was Australia. He, I think he's done. It was Australia. Julia Gillard. I think he's done both. Yeah. Um, because yeah, he was. He went. He he, go from town to town with his <laughs> wagon. It's like, hey, I got some sweet, blue, sweet neoliberal reforms. His blue and green. His blue Labour clinking bottles. Yeah. Um, I got some brand new blue Labour here. It's amazing. Cures what ails you. Fresh off the line down in New Haverbrook, <laughs> yeah. Shelbyville. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's what he is. He's his his idiot. criticism of uh, pe- people having to go at PFIs generally, and he said, "Oh, I know. Imagine getting rid of outside toilets and rebuilding every A and E and renewing the school estate and bringing two million homes homes to decent home standards. The first betrayal is winning. The second is delivery." Talking about New Labour's legacy, and yeah, yeah somebody pointed out, yeah, yeah, imagine imagine hosp- not being able to build hospitals <laughs> with indoor toilets in the fucking fourth richest country in the world. Yeah, that's the fucking failure. Yeah, the failure is not not deliver. The failure is not delivering, but also not delivering at a fucking massive markup. Well, it's yeah, it's the way that it's always framed that you have to have the private sector yeah. involved in any of this stuff, and you never, you don't need it. He he comes up to like Corbyn comes up to a point now um, when he becomes prime minister, and I do mean when. Yeah, um, he has that chance to. Um, actually take on that orthodoxy about because at, at root it's about not upsetting the financial the international financial markets mm. right so you don't borrow the original kind of borrowing limits set up were to appease the international markets that mm. had been released after unleashed after um like the oil crises of the 70s and the rise of neoliberalism and the liberalization uh, the deregulate deregulation of the like financial markets mm. and Capitalism went fucking haywire, and it's been generating record profits. I think it's had its fucking time. Yeah. And if he can hold his nerve, and if he can, like, think the unthinkable, because mm. it's it's that's what they'll present it as. It or they'll they'll say it's unthinkable that you can't um, compensate. I don't know water companies for is, taking back the thing that we already own and use. The thing is, if he doesn't do it, mm-hmm. they're still going to hate him. Oh yeah. And that's the thing. That's the, uh, the that's thing that. is, I think he, I think he could do it. McDonald probably is up for it. Oh yeah, but it takes. It's aside from anything, it's going to take a lot of people. He's not going to do it by executive powers alone. He's not going to do it by PM powers alone. No, it would need. And yet, you know what? It probably would take. Um, it probably would take a lot of this country to the brink of civil war. I think it w- is that serious. I think that if you threaten to take away shareholders' mm. um, shares without compensation, mm. I think that a lot of them will fucking take up arms in some form or other. I think it'll be mainly pissy articles. Um, but you know what I mean, like take yeah. up arms in that sense. Yeah. Um, but like generally arm themselves. Mm. But like, I think what they do all have to realize is that the benefit is there are far more people who would benefit from it and who would see the benefit from it than are going to lose. Yeah, definitely. Because how the shareholder class isn't that big. No, it just not. isn't. No. And like it will be it will be a really early test and Carillion's like really put this into perspective that you like yeah. you can't afford to have it go on like this. Yeah. This can't like lumber on. In theory, like it couldn't come 
better time to justify renationalising it all. Yeah, it really couldn't. Um, um, so yeah, with everything else in housing and everything, yep, yeah, it's it's back on the menu at least. Like at the Overton window shifted that mm. they are talking about. Um, taking the contracts back in-house, and certainly no further PFI contracts, but who knows? Like, I think it will just be, a, it would be just be a, the first proper test we've had of the principle of property in this country for... A very long time. 40 to 45? Yeah. Since the NHS and since nationalised coal. Even then it was done kind of half-assed because they mm. put the same bosses in charge and they yeah. had to, they had to um, charge for prescriptions and things like that to... Like sell, like get the doctors yeah. on side who would then be working in the NHS. Mm. So it wasn't perfect to begin with, but if it's back on the menu, it's back on the menu. You know, that's good. Yeah. So our second topic this week. Yes. <laughs> we we really couldn't think about because there's been a lot of little things this week, but not like anything really big we could sink our teeth into. Yeah. Um, so we just kind of picked something out of a hat and said, you give a well funny. They are. You they're give dead, fun. they're being so dead funny. Um, and it, they were impossible to avoid for like the last two days as well. They had a live blog. I know. It's so funny. On the, um, the UKIP like, leadership so ballot. Henry Bolton, mm. the liberal one who he, became leader, the one who wasn't the... who He is a racist... And he's, he's fully immigration cap, no non-European yeah. immigration. Yeah, but guy. he wasn't Anne-Marie Waters, who mm. is, you know, mandatory tattooing of swastikas on foreheads, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, he left his wife in November. Yeah, I believe they were separated by Christmas. Yeah, well, he's like, oh, that's it. He met this this girl, this his Hyle Street honey. <laughs> Joe Marnie, if you don't know who Joe Marnie is, she's uh, the Brexit glamour model. Um, Sexit Brexit. And yeah, I came up with that. I could not think of anything else. That's horrible. The Hyle Street honey. Yeah. She is a unrepentant racist. And I oh. don't care. They came out with exactly the same line as mm. they do whenever these people mm. say something like, I would never have uh, sex with an N word. Yeah. Uh, and said, I'm not a racist. I'm clearly not a racist. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's like, I think it was the, the timeline was he met her in November and then he left his wife around Christmas and then mm. on Boxing Day was photographed with her. And then someone just went through, like then a Facebook chat was leaked mm. of her just ranting and raving about um, Meghan Markle. And the best yeah. thing about that is she has said incredibly racist stuff before. Yeah. And UKIPers were fine with that. But when it was racist about royals yeah then they had a problem with it and that's hilarious but the best one it's like he's been on good morning britain twice yeah in the last like two weeks it's so good because he said that his marriage was coming to an end it was all like over you his know, third you know marriage yeah it's like you know it's you know when it's over and you know it's like just going yeah. through the motions then his wife said we just had a baby <laughs> <laughs> um and he said he was never going to be getting back together with this this woman that this these views are disgusting and he doesn't agree with them. And then he's sort of got back together with her already. Um, and everyone in UKIP hates him going out with someone who would say such horrible things about the royal family. Because that's what it's about with UKIP. It is about the royal family because they couldn't give yeah. a shit about how racist you are. Yeah. Because otherwise they wouldn't be in UKIP for a fucking start. But it did lead to them. I saw Michael Crick hanging around outside a hotel in Folkestone with him holed up in there. And it's just... Because he was hiding, wasn't he? There's, a, there's an amazing report... Um, 
the UKIP leader paced his room, counting down the minutes until his 4pm press conference at oh. the back entry of the hotel. He'd left it late in the day because he had wanted to catch the opening rounds of the World Indoor Bowls Championship. <laughs> Be more, Be UKIP. more UKIP! That's so good. Unmissable. It was just sheer bad luck that one match had been such a nail-biter that he'd absentmindedly wandered out of the front of the hotel by mistake. <laughs> oh, he's already he doesn't... Um, oh, that's it. Because UKIP have so little money, he's having to pay his own salary. Mm-hmm. Oh, just... Mwah. I've just got that image of him, like, uh, you know that scene from the West Wing where um, Bartlett's in the church? Yeah. And he's, like, shouting at God, and he's just shouting at either the TV because someone's <laughs> made a really bad... Bowls call? Bowl? <laughs> or... He's asked for a gin and, gin and lemon at the hotel bar, and no one has the fuckest, faintest idea of what that is. It's gin and lemon. What is a gin and lemon? <laughs> it's just gin and lemon. It's just oh. like gin and lemon cordial. Like, Ugh. Ugh. is it? Like perfume? No, no, no. Like bitter lemon. Like you know. Oh, what that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry, that's yeah. fine. That. <laughs> um, that's actually it's actually really nice. That's but an it acceptable is, drink. It is one hundred percent the a UKIP drink. Like, you, yeah, there are so many jokes you can make about UKIP. Like, it's so it's so easy because all of their like. Their signifiers was are so ingrained in us, mm. perhaps as something that we laugh at. Like it was definitely like a Gen X was it that? thing to laugh at the kind of old fuddy duddy colonel. Was it the documentary in um I think it was on Channel Four. It was a documentary with um, a load of view kippers mm. and it was in I think it was in Broadstairs mm. where and they were having this meeting and it was like a bunch of old people in a house surrounded by antique um clown dolls. Jesus Christ. And it's like Again, be more UKIP, because they're all like retired or never worked well-to-do women. Yeah. Just muttering about how they're definitely not a racist, but... <laughs> They've got sofas in every room. Oh, I yeah. mean every room, even yes. rooms that they don't need them. Yeah, like a sofa you know? in the hallway. Because they've just overcompensated with that my home is my castle kind of thing. <laughs> and a sofa is very much the modern-day catapult. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I mean he's not, he himself is not the most socially conservative of them, I don't think, because he did he ran as a Lib Dem in two thousand five uh, and and failed and I think ran as a UKIP uh rep in I think it was in Folkestone in Shepway hmm. um in two thousand ten. Hmm. And he's not the most socially conservative, but I just find it amazing that they adhere to these like stereotypes so much. Like Farage does it all the time. Like the most socially conservative party in Britain, they all leave their wives. Oh, yeah. All the time for the next, like, rung down the youth ladder. Well, they, um, and they always look the same as their yeah. wives, but, like, just less wrinkled. Mm. And that's literally all they do, constantly. <laughs> and it's horrific. It's, it's a thing that, like, I find infidelity really sketchy yes, really yeah. i find i find that level yeah. of betrayal of trust to the point of especially with politicians it's like if you'll betray that person i'm never going to trust you it's like it just there are i think there are circumstances where like i don't oh, oh, definitely, i don't but... particularly like like i i'm pretty liberal in that respect that like the people's personal lives should kind of be separate from their politics but i do know what you mean yeah there's for me once shame on you yeah like you know, there's there are there are times and like there's there's like an affair where it's not it doesn't feel as much of a betrayal if you know what I mean like if like a marriage yeah. is properly falling apart but a UKIP divorce is a UKIP divorce it's properly like yeah. well it's his secretary or it was on a business meeting it's, you know it's that kind of shit <laughs> yeah on and a bit so yeah trashy. on a business on a business meeting at a conference yeah 
somewhere you know, like their eyes met across in, a boardroom in, in Brussels. <laughs> oh yeah, or Red oh. It's Reading. It has to be Reading or Slough or no, no, those like kind of conference centres you have at like a football club. Yes, it'd be yeah. somewhere like that, like in a banqueting Fra- hall. I'm surprised they're so Islamophobic because like Islam allows you four wives, mm. so mm. you know they could get away certain with certain readings. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, they're just oh, um, I, there's a lot of them are resigning, aren't they? Um, so um, this I, this this whole the whole like Joe Marnie crisis mm. thing. Um, I'm I'm sure it was related, and that the NEC, which are, of UKIP, which apparently is very like old UKIP, mm. um, are notorious for like um, undermining leaders. Yeah. Um, there was an article by Alan Sked who actually set up UKIP as like the Federalist. Um, that was it, the Anti-Federalist League. Okay. Um, he mm. was more left-wing. He was. I wouldn't. I don't know whether he was actually a socialist. But he was more like left-wing opposition to Brexit and federalism, European federalism generally. Okay. Um, he was ousted by Farage. He actually stood in 97 and the NEC, um, apparently after the 97 election in which the referendum party also ran, which was mm. James Goldsmith's um, father of Zach Goldsmith's, uh, James Goldsmith ran an anti-EU mm. referendum party the same way that UKIP did mm. later on. Um Alan Scared and Nigel Farage were um, summoned in front of the NEC and they demanded to know why they hadn't won the election. That's fantastic. They ran 50 MPs. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so, like, literally being brought in front of... They would be, like, elders. Mm. There's bound to be a couple of colonels on there. Oh, yeah. If not actual colonels, they've got medals that they wear. Yeah. Um, even if I've just got images of slightly senile old men with like um, milk bottle tops stapled <laughs> to their tweed jackets, talking about how they fought in um, Gallipoli. <laughs> but yeah, there's a load of people standing down now. Yeah, um, they he put the NEC wanted him to resign. He lost a leadership election, but apparently that doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, he, he full on Charles the first, though, didn't he? Oh he, yeah, he like I do not recognise the authority of this. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing my thing. I'm only, that was it on his second, um, his second interview on Good Morning Britain. Who said all he cares about is the politics. He's really into the politics. <laughs> so good. Well, Piers Morgan is just calling him a scumbag as leader of a political party. I'm quite into politics. That's pretty much what he said. I guess you could say I'm a politics guy. Yeah, oh, I'm, an M- I'm an MEP. That's what he was saying. While Piers Morgan is just shouting at him. <laughs> but um, I saw it's like. All these people that they've all got proper jobs. Yeah. I say jobs, like in the sense that one of us is president and the other one is vice president <laughs> of the podcast. That kind of job. Hold on, hold on. Which one's president? Which one's vice president? We'll never know. We'll never say so we can both pretend that we're both <laughs> the young go getting vice president. <laughs> Excuse me, executive vice president. But the, these jobs, like, was it those, um, over, like, one in charge of overseas sales or something like that? It was like, it's all, like, they're all meaningless things because they don't do anything because they're fucking UKIP. They're too, they're too much of a, like, I, I can't, I can't, I genuinely can't remember if we talked about, like, UKIP properly in depth mm. on the podcast, but we probably have. But, like, they are a combination of two, like, probably one or two, too many different political currents mm. to properly function as a, a party. Oh, definitely. They're made up of this really narrow class base of, if they're lucky, they get, like, the, um, who's the owner of Newcastle? Mike Ashley. 
sports direct guy. Mm-hmm. So he's like a Tim Martin from Witherspoon. So mm. they are the last of what you would call like national bourgeoisie. Mm. They're the last like business owners. Their main profit comes from Britain from actually selling things. They're not generally in finance, although obviously they're finance adjacent. Yeah. And they are multi-millionaires, but maybe not billionaires. Um, so they're... UKIP was, is really, like, at best, their last gasp for, like, relevance in a globalised world. Hmm. They can't compete with Capita, Faceless Corporations, no. Steve Jobs, not Steve Jobs, obviously, they can compete with they'd be dead. <laughs> um, uh, Apple, uh, you know. Yeah, they can't Entrepreneurs like that. They can't compete with that. Um, and they're probably one too many political currents, because they've got their libertarianism. Hmm. They've got their their Atlanticism. They really love oh. the idea of mimicking those American business practices for yeah. Britain. Because yeah. it would benefit them hugely. Mm. You've got the kind of nativists. Mm. You've got the anti-Islam mm. trend. You've got the anti-Europe trend, which I think is is part of it, but separate. And all these different things, like interweaving, but never quite producing like a, a an actual actual result. Mm. Like people say, they're populist. Like they're too free market to be populist. Oh God, no. um, the only thing that they ever do which is popular is parroting what the papers have said for years about foreigners. Yeah, but also they they weaponise that and transfer it onto um, mainstream parties. That was mm. that was always the goal. Mm. And you can see it with the stuff about um, Ben Bradley this week. Tory mm. MP who, oh. he wrote a load of blog posts when he was younger, well I say younger, like in his, in his mid-twenties yeah. um, about uh, euthani- not euthanising, um, giving the poor vasectomies. Yeah. And uh, weirdly enough, he came out with something today like... Um, the Conservative MP Ben Bradley has defended the broad point behind his suggestion. Yeah, James Cleverly claimants. was defending it as well. That benefits claimants should have vasectomies by saying working people find it frustrating when a minority take advantage of the welfare system. So he didn't actually apologise for the yeah, sentiment. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't apologise for the sentiment behind no. what he said. Mm. He was proper anti-humanist, like eliminationist, like poor people should stop breeding kind of thing. Mm. He just didn't like the. He just said, "I would have phrased it better," mm. which is like that's perfect because that's exactly what UKIP have been doing for ages. Nigel Farage wanted to fucking lead the Tory party. Yeah. He never wanted to lead UKIP. Oh god! No. He wanted to make those views and put inject the hard right back into the Tory party, mm. which he felt like it kind of slipped away with Cameron and, to a lesser extent, Theresa May. Yeah. But it's well, yeah, you're right. It's yeah, it, she's the Tory not. party's kind of a mashup of those two two impulses anyway. But the Tory party is the Tory party. It's going to be here. It's got the funding. It's got the mm. name recognition. It's got the brand down. It's got the brand after fucking three hundred years. I think it's got the brand down. But yeah, they're like that's what they are, and it's still baffling that they get as much um, like oh, media the, the coverage sheer as they amount do. Of media coverage they get. Yeah, it is shocking. Yeah, it, I. It's the thing that properly puts an end to the notion that the mainstream media is even slightly liberal. Yeah. Because they kind of are in that they say, you know, they'll say that when I use the word liberal in a pejorative sense, um, because they just want clicks. Yeah. They just want views. And they're willing to put put anyone on, be they Nick Griffin or endlessly putting Nigel Farage on Question Time. Yeah. Um, although he hasn't been on for a while, but he's busy, you know. Doing... Oh, he'll be he'll be back now because this has like uh, re-energized him. Yeah, he yeah. he described um, uh, Henry Bolton's um, stand as uh, he said, "I'm not going to support Henry Bolton. Say I support Henry Bolton, but it's a very bold moment. This is very much his Corbyn moment." 
Yeah, because yeah, I did see there were people talking about, you know, oh, well, you know, Jeremy Corbyn had all those people turn on him. And it's like, it's a bit different. Do you mean the repeated landslide internal elections that he had to remain leader? <laughs> yeah. And it's like... So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just... It, it would... Be, I saw Sebastian Payne. He's one of those people who looks like... um who looks like an animated Victorian doll. On, yeah, on, um, yeah, there's so many. There are quite a lot of them. Um, he looks like a parody drawing of himself. Yeah. Um, he looks like the spectator drawing of himself. <laughs> um, but he was saying that UKIP, after being year, for years, have been on life support. Yeah. Perhaps this is where they finally die. Whereas when, what's his name, Paul Nuttall of the UKIPs became leader, he was like... Last oh, year! Yeah, that, that's it for Labour now. Because <laughs> Paul Nuttall. Labour should be quaking at Paul Nuttall's election because he speaks in a northern accent. Like, that's the level of, like... I ab- faked a PhD. I think, I think they got... There's a point... I, c- I can't remember when I first started, like, really noticing it, but there was a point when all that liberal elite, mm. like, guilt-tripping stuff started to work mm. on the BBC and yeah. on journalists generally, and they were... It was the worst thing you could call them was a liberal elite. Mm. So they decided to become, like, a conservative bait... Yeah. Elite. Yeah. Like, as if it changed their elite status if they were mimicking what another elite said they weren't. Yeah. You know? It is real bizarre. Um, but, um, so, what are they, they are, what's he doing now then? Um, he's staying on. Yeah. A load of, um, his ministers, like his, his, uh, head, you know, department. His department heavies. Heads, his heavies, yeah. The other, the other heavyweights of his UK. lieutenants, yeah, including uh, Joseph Goebbels, um, <laughs> <laughs> Mark Stein. because what is like UKIP's health minister going to say apart from constantly bringing out poorly print, poorly printed leaflets about how smoking actually doesn't give you cancer <laughs> and things like that? I said they've they've just they don't have any kind of like concrete platform because mm. i mean on brexit which was the only thing that they had any real traction on because mm. they could assume that they were right every time and now they've been proved right they can't keep banging on about it mm. um and they're not populist be- in the same way that like so the tea party burnt out in the us but the republicans basically took on a lot of what the Tea Party was saying, like no matter how insane. Well, that's because it was all astroturf to the get go. It was just an, it, it, was an it, ex- definitely... it was an excuse to move. To, they wanted a reason. Oh, they wanted justification to move further to the right. Yeah, um, they had like that purge in the Republican Party, and they brought in like Tea Party people, and the Tea Party faded away, mm. um, including a lot of the talking points because they had shifted the Overton window mm. to where they wanted to, and UKIP have done that, and they don't have as a separate electoral force. They just don't have the. They don't have the class allies. Mm. They don't have um, a large swathe of the working class in mm. that way because it turns out it's a lot easier to convince Americans that the free market is the way to kind of paradise yeah. than it is to convince a generally social democratic country yeah. that the NHS should be privatised, mm. which a significant amount of them want, but they would fob off every now and again by saying, well, Europe is stealing all your NHS money. Yeah, You know, they've got, they've just got one too many contradictions to last mm. and yeah it's only the clickbait kind of media so, coverage that a couple that... of them have started other parties now like Amory Waters has started another party mm. I can't remember what her party's called probably something real racist Sharia England <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's probably something it's probably one of those really badly ones you know like um, 
whenever an election would come around like a while ago, you'd always have a really terribly named left-wing party that would be like something that Bob Crow was doing. Yeah. It's like, yes to democracy, no to EU. No to EU, with yeah. two being in the number two. Yeah, things like that. Just like, um, I could see Amory Waters doing that. Something like that. Amory Waters is going to convert to Sufism. <laughs> Calling it now. Really? Because it allows her to have four husbands. Oh, wait. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, oh, it's so weird. I am am enjoying watching them implode um, because it's so funny. And as well, it's because, and it's, it couldn't be, he couldn't have chosen a better place to hide out than uh, an old hotel in Folkestone. Yeah. Folkestone, a place that has seen better days, is very much Mm. lost the luster of its youth and is fading into irrelevance like Britain, and in an old beachfront hotel, which you can't find anything that's quintessentially old, decrepit, and English than those big beachside hotels. If you're looking for a metaphor as to the kind of like decline of the British body politic and the British economy in general, Britain as a global player, like, you look at um, seaside resorts and it's, yeah, it's impossible not to draw that metaphor yeah. out. It's a man in an old ballroom that hasn't been repainted in, like, decades. Yeah. Paint chipping everywhere. There hasn't been a dance in there for years. And he's sitting yeah. in there with maybe four other people, all sitting at separate tables, watching the bowls on very small CRT televisions. <laughs> he's got a blazer. <laughs> He does. You see those. That's the great thing about about UKIP. I think that's probably why they keep covering them because they just they hit that cultural memory mm. in a way that reality doesn't. Like none of these people live in reality. No, like they that. live in the home counties. They live as far away from actual the majority of our experiences mm. as is possible to live. Mm. And there's this old sitcom feel about it. You know, a faulty towersy kind of thing. The only time I've met a proper UKIPper in the wild mm. was at Ascot Racecourse. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, and that's the kind of place that they inhabit. The horrible point of um, if Jeremy Corbyn doesn't win this kind of fight over hegemony, as we were talking mm. about with nationalisation, if he mm. does get into power and decide that Actually, the power structures are there. Are, that there are there are fine. He can just run them better. Mm. I don't think that's what he thinks. I think that may be what a few people that support him on the left think. Mm. That once we get into power, we can run the same thing but better and properly. Yeah. Which is what New Labour thought. Which mm. is what brought us a lot of this stuff in the first place. I hope that if they lo- if they lose the fight for hegemony, you get the younger people who were at Ascot Racecourse that day. Who were working the estate, behind the bar? <laughs> no, the estate agents. Oh, the obnoxious estate agents. Yeah, the estate agents, the people who like the new build house people. Mm. This is no like it's no like uh, like slur on them. Mm. I like I'm not talking about individuals. I'm just talking about a particular social type mm. in that way. And like you could see them breeding new ukippers. Oh yeah, definitely. I think if you get rid of the fuddy duddiness and the kind of home counties vibe, mm. you could definitely see it like a shiny suited estate agent. Um, my little brother's UK. In a in a new yeah, in a new build, like coming up with those same kind of things and Yeah, he lives in I think he lives in a new build now. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> all yeah. that all that kind of stuff, all that kind of stuff is always it's always a battlefield. It's always a a struggle for meaning and priorities and mm. all that kind of thing. And the decline of UKIP doesn't mean it's gone. Like even no. the media coverage around UKIP is not so much caused by UKIP mm. as a kind of more of an illustration of like general trends about where Britain has gone and mm. Like what it has become mm. and what it's possible to do with it, and 
there's where a, most of my fucking depression about England comes from. There's a know? lot of ideas that need to die. Yeah. And like maybe, maybe we should watch that Churchill film just to do a review and a, a, a big look into Churchill because that's one of the. It's like a great Twitter exchange I saw, which just sums yeah. up like England perfectly. Um, it was uh, some Welsh people talking about teaching Welsh history in schools, mm. and um, oh, he's MP for the Ronda, Chris Bryant. Yeah, he said. Labour in general are very much not in favour of teaching Welsh history in Welsh schools. Uh-huh. Um, and Chris Bryant said, I'm, I'm in favour as long as it's not fabricated. <laughs> to which someone said, but do they actually think that we believe in, like, believe in Arthur in the same way that they believe in fucking Churchill? Yeah. And it is kind of, like, Churchill is a mythological hero now. Yes, yeah, definitely. And yeah. This, uh, I kind of want to watch this film to see how they do it. It's what are they going to have him coming out of the bath naked to sexually harass his secretary? I don't think they will. <laughs> or if they do, they'll play it for laughs. Yeah, but it's what um, it's what we were talking about earlier about you know one ma- a massive political project can hinge so much in this in this weird late capitalist hellscape. Hmm. Massive political change can hinge so much on a tiny fleeting cultural signifier that didn't exist. Hmm. And when you're saying with that with that Welsh history thing, that's a really that's like um, an Orientalist mm. um, attitude towards it because it's saying you don't have real history. Mm. You oh, yeah, only have the you they that you only have the myths that you believe. That whereas thing, we um, have real history. Yes, um, Kinnock um, yeah. said that um, the history of Wales is a history of it's a history of like hill brigands who were ennobled by calling them princes. <laughs> but the thing is, if like the thing with Welsh history, it would be literally like the British government wouldn't like them talking about places like Capelgalen mm. because it would be not in the sense of Britain as the benevolent overlord. Yeah. The, the the specifically the English like to imagine. Yeah. With their totem of magic, Churchill. Yeah. But yeah, if um if it'd be fun, it'll be weird to see. I reckon UKIP will sort of merge into something else now. Ideally, it'll be a weird libertarian party because I love libertarians. They're so bizarre. They'll shake off their current, so you'll have a re-energised like BNP light, I imagine, from well, the, be the, Islam- Waters. the Islamophobes Waters or, and the nativists. But then the, the libertarian one will be led by someone who's had... um, who's, You know, like, there was the Bitcoin man a while ago who had... The, it's like a great post that he did on some website. He might have read it. Um, he'd set up so many Bitcoin mining rigs in his room that he'd ended up passing out from heat exhaustion and lost the use, he'd like <laughs> lost use of, like a, a lot of his brain had died because of this. <laughs> and I could see the new leader of a libertarian, a more libertarian <laughs> UKIP being the kind of person who lost some of his brain to his Bitcoin fortune. <laughs> Before cheating on his wife. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh no, he'll blame the cheating on his wife on his brain damage. Yeah, and we'll all be ableist for laughing at him. <laughs> And then never learn. I hate it when right wingers they like weaponize that stuff. Yeah, and I was going to say he'd never learn the lesson of saying, "My dying child was treated with the NHS, therefore you can't criticize me on it." Yeah, he'd literally say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that's all right. Well, that's us for the week. Um, as usual, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and Hugh at Tanner Smashing. You can follow Fitz on the couch asleep. You can follow Fitz on my... my on, on literally your Insta. What's your Instagram, actually? I think it's the same. Uh, Tanner Smashing. Yeah, and yeah. that is just pictures of him. Yeah. So, <laughs> from us and Third Comrade, Yes, that's it for this week. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Bye.